Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. This is Jenny Allen and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Thanks to Aura Frames for supporting Made For This. Aura Frames make digital picture frames designed to easily fill your home with photos of family and friends shared instantly from an app. Get $30 off your order by going to AuraFrames.com with promo code MADEFORTHIS. Okay, guys, you're about to meet two of my people. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to laugh the whole time because one of them giggling right now is my brother-in-law, Tony Warnock. There's nobody on earth like him and his wife, my sister, Brooke Warnock, who I, if you don't know, I'm one of three girls. I'm the oldest. Brooke's the middle. Katie's the youngest. And they're my best friends. They literally are my people all my life. Um, They weren't my best friends all my life. They drove me crazy most of my life when I was young. But quickly after I left the house, I realized what a gift I had in them and that they would be forever the dearest two humans on earth to me. And there's nothing like family. There's nothing like sisters. And the way our family is, is we're loud. In fact, so loud that Kate brought her boyfriend to a meal with all of my extended family. And he said, I've never experienced something like that because everyone was so loud and talking over each other the whole time. So I expect nothing less, Tony Warnock, than for you to talk over me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, guys, we are going to have an incredible conversation because why don't we start with a little bit about where you have spent the last decade or two of your life. So, Tony, why don't you start? So we've been involved with a place uh, called Lost Valley Ranch. Um, I have been involved for about 25 years. I had a few years where Brooke and I were off the ranch uh, when we were in seminary in Dallas and uh, when we first got married and started our family. So we were there for a few years. Let me say this. Tony is a real life cowboy, not a pretend one, not a dress up. Like, In fact, when he came to Dallas, we had to take him to Gap and buy him chinos to go to seminary and do his job. And he was so uncomfortable. You would have thought we murdered his soul. <laughs> it was actually, that was mine and Brooke's first giant fight was at the gap. Yeah, I was there. <laughs> yeah. She was trying to get me to buy uh, cargo pants. And some and flip flops. And some flip flops. And some flip flops and grow my hair out. And okay. I was starting to wonder what, what had happened. <laughs> well, y'all need to understand. I mean, when I say you're a real cowboy, Tony, a lot of people listening don't even know that there are real cowboys. Tell everybody like your background that you used to, what you used to do. What makes you a real cowboy? Well, it's, I don't, I I would not call myself a real cowboy anymore just because it's kind of like a welder. It's just a job, you know, but I, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of my life horseback taking care of other people's cattle for a living and, um, and all that it entails, the good and the bad. It's not as glamorous uh, as some might say, um, or some might think. But it's it's a job and um, and you don't get paid a lot, but it's you spend your days outside and your horseback with a rope and and you get to do all the things that people think with it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love this. I mean, people are dying listening to you right now. You know, you spend your days horseback with a rope. Yeah, okay, that's exactly what everybody was picturing. We don't need to go any further. And then Brooke, for everybody 
that doesn't know, she obviously lives out there with him. And thank goodness she liked horses because otherwise we were pretty city girls. Like we were not, we weren't really ranch girls, but you like the horses. I like the horses. When Tony talked, I like the cowboys. But when he was a real cowboy, he didn't even have a home. So this was when I was not part of his life. Part of his retirement has been, oh, I guess I've got to, you know, clothe and feed and and take care of this family of mine. And so that, you know, that's how we that's how we ended up a little bit called to guest ranching because it was it was the best of both worlds. I did yeah. have a home. I mean, I lived in a house. I mean, it you was. Did? Uh, yeah, I didn't. Because the songs did say I, that. Did you think I lived in the bed of my truck? I mean. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> it was rough. It was rough, Tony. You have to admit. It was. Well, it, it was shelter of a. Of a it wasn't one. It wasn't a home Brooke wanted to, to live in. <laughs> and let's be real. Y'all have five kids. Brooke, you've homeschooled most of their lives. So. Y'all have a crazy life, but I want you to describe Lost Valley. So you're living out there. You're running this ranch, Tony, that you've lived at for a long time. They put you in charge, which is a good thing because Tony's a good leader and he makes men. That's what I say about Tony. And so you're in charge and talk about this culture that that you want to create that that has been created out there. Well, the the ranch is unique in that we talk about uh, ranch life a lot and you know, Western lifestyle and being cowboys. But the reality of it is, is that the beauty of Lost Valley is that's the context that it happens in. And uh, some people get to kind of live out that, um, that ideal of being on a horse and wearing a hat and um, out in the West, the mountains and a great locale. But, but what the ranch actually is, is a place that um, uses that context to engage people's hearts in a way that maybe nothing else does. And for us, um, the intent is a um, is redemptive biblically. Um, we we live out there. That place has existed to transform lives for the gospel. And um, the majority of our guests don't share our worldview. Um, I'd say probably seventy percent don't share our worldview as far as um, interaction with with um, the gospel, but. Um, we believe deeply that hospitality in the context of God's general revelation in the mountains is profound, and it causes people to engage and um, interact with us in ways that disarms them, gives legitimacy to our hope, and uh, enables us at times to share in a way that um, the church maybe doesn't get to. And so the ranch is is a um, is unique in that by doing hospitality with excellence, which your sister does unbelievably well, she creates the setting, the context, and the atmosphere for hospitality that gives us the entree to the conversations that are very difficult to have outside of the cattle garden. Yeah, Tony makes the ranch work. Brooke makes the ranch beautiful. So what I would say that about this is, let me just give you a few facts. So, and they're going to be wrong. So Tony will correct them. Eight mile dirt road. You're really out there. Like you're in the wilderness. Uh, very limited cell service. You've got uh, 50-ish staff that are young adults. Is that right? Am I doing pretty good? 75 75. In the 75 staff that he's shepherding that live out there. It's not easy to run in town. So pretty much that's where they are. That's their community. That's their friendships. That's their coworkers. That's who they're with. That's her family. They're they're around each other around the clock. People come out and work for years or months. Um, it's a great place to 
to send your kids to work. My kids grew up working there. And then you've got your hosting anywhere from several dozen to 60 to 80 people. So that's about how many people are out in the middle of this place. And the reason I want Brooke and Tony to come on is not simply because they're some of my people, although that would be another fun conversation, but mainly because you have lived in a village context. And I have seen the fruit of people doing life together in that deep of a way and the difficulty of it, right? So we're talking this season about finding our people and living in a really interdependent way. So let's start with Tony, somebody, one of your staff, young punk, let's name him Connor just for fun. <laughs> young punk Connor shows up at your ranch and he's 18 and he has lived completely with his selfish ways and has no desire to submit to authority or to live in the context of all these humans. What happens first? Well, the, the, the main thing that you do is that you put structure around him and you have a healthy structure because if someone isn't um, healthy or they're making bad decisions and you put them in a context that's not healthy or exacerbates that you, you, you're never going to get traction. So you got to make sure that your organization is sound before you, before you move forward, it, assuming that that's the case at Lost Valley, which I think is the case. The first thing that you do is you give credibility to the things that you ask of them, the structure, the, you know, we talk about the rules. I hate using the word rules, but it's what they are. But we, we put a lot of structure around people to set them up for success and try to take some of the obstacles away for their ability to serve. And then uh, when someone like that comes in, the people around them that their peers, the people they work with, the the leadership that they have, or it's peer leadership at the crew level, they're signed on, they're on board. And so you end up with peer pressure that says that there's legitimacy in what we're doing and that you need to get on board with it also. Wow. So the community around them actually drives it more than the the management does. We set the context, we give them the direction and we cast that kind of missional purpose, but the success takes place in the people that they're living with every day, that they're working with every day in that level of buy-in. And if they've got a little too much starch in them, you know, I mean, working from 4.30, you know, 4, 4.30 in the morning until about 8.30, 9 o'clock at night kind of takes the desire to make bad decisions right out of you. And, uh, you know, like like Connor, you know, Connor actually went out and dug water lines on the Forest Service for our cattle tanks with a couple of my my key guys that were out there at the time. And he was putting in 12 hours a day digging, you know, digging trench lines. And uh, it it makes shaped him. And going to bed at night and then because you got to get up and start the whole day over again. So the work and the and the culture and the community all play together. They interact as as cogs to to keep the machine moving forward. So Brooke, you see somebody hit a roadblock because you've told me stories about this. It happens almost probably to everyone when they get there. What is the point of conflict? Like what gets hard about living in the midst of those people and them being your coworkers, your family, your friends, what's the hardest part? Yeah. The, the relationships that form between each staff member, we always say we just wrapped up our, the spring staff conference. Cause we're about to open back up the ranch and Tony and I were casting the vision. And something I always include is that they're sitting in that dining room together, which actually doesn't happen a ton all together throughout the season. And so when we get them in one room, speaking to them about the significance of the interrelationships on the staff 
and how that actually the health of each relationship, the conflict resolution, the the choices that each individually make will even determine the product of what the guest experiences and that guests will pick up on those things. And so we're quick to resolve conflict. I mean, I think the darkest days for a staff member are the days that they try to escape it. They're the days when it gets so hard and they don't want to submit to their authority or they don't want to submit to that crew leader or they don't want to do that next mundane task. And the darkest days that we've experienced with any staff member has been when they're trying when they're trying to escape it. Which is so interesting because in most of life, they could. That's right. I mean, that's what's different about out here is we call it the pressure cooker sometimes because you know, we've, we've realized the longer we've done this, the na- I mean, it is a natural humanistic approach to hard and to conflict is to want to escape. Wow. And we don't get to do that out here. In fact, there's really nowhere to escape too. We live down a nine mile dirt road and we live off kind of off the grid and there's really nowhere to escape to. It's very rare, but there have been staff members that just, you know, the escape drives them to poor choices. The escape drives them to demanding their way. The escape drives them to trying to meet expectations that they've built in their head in an unhealthy way. And it has, I would say those are the darkest days, but for the most part, I mean, Tony, probably what 95% of our staff, they it's to hold that tension in the first few weeks. It's pretty, it's actually noticeable. Well, that's what I want you to talk about next is what about the kid that comes in as a punk and leaves healthier? Like what, what's that look like? Like for them to, cause I'm sure if everybody gets to the point where they want to run because they're offended, because they have to submit and they've never done that because whatever the conflict is with another individual, maybe there's just, they don't connect with people. They don't find their people. What happens? Like, how does it change? Well, over time, what happens at the ranch, because the culture is pretty strong and been in place for really the better part of 60 years that when you come into it and we do, a, I mean, we do a really thorough job of vetting who's going to come in too. We want people that, uh, you know, in your late teens and twenties and even thirties, you're just not going to have it together. So we have an expectation that people are still wrestling with stuff and figuring things out, but a willingness to get on board with the program, even if you don't fully agree or understand is still a, a, a strong litmus for, or what we're looking for. for and what's, what's interesting about that age group is it requires a lot more work. They require a lot more work on the, on the work side of things, but they're actually, there's so much more opportunity with them. Mm-hmm. There's so much, they're, they're less stuck in their ways. There's um, less pride involved. And it's, it, yeah, we love that age group. Love that, that generation age, of kids. Yeah. That age group is real aspirational. When you throw down this kind of big vision, this big idea, and people get on board with it. So what happens is if you've got someone, if you think of it, I use this analogy a lot with the staff of if we're all in this river that's kind of leading us to a waterfall in our destruction, you got to swim upstream. And there's really not an opportunity to take a day off because it's just going to carry you further down river. And when you see someone that's not swimming and not all of us are going to swim the same or as effectively, but when you see someone that's not really uh, trying to go, you know, against the flow of kind of, a, lack of a better term, just the entropy that's kind of driving us to brokenness. It stands out. There's a lot of behaviors that start to stand out and everyone sees it. And yeah. 
call it out in a way that you don't want people to be shamed or embarrassed or, you know, but you want to engage in it, figure out what's driving it, what's going on. So people can't hide. That's what you're saying. It's it's nearly impossible because you're working together all the time. You're bunking together. You're you're in each other's business all the time. If you've got an issue, it will come out. And you think that's a good thing. You think that's a gift. Well, yeah. I mean, the worst thing that you can do is hide. Um, if something is eating you alive, if something is breaking you down, if something is cancerous in your life, the worst thing you can do is just keep it hidden until it until it takes over and becomes maybe something that that you cannot get away from very cleanly. And so the ranch, because of the work context and because of the structure relationally, you know, where we drive high standards of relationship between the staff and what we we expect of them, some of our coping mechanisms, the things that we run to, whether it's our phones, whether it's Netflix, whether it's relationships, whether it's even substances, we we really cut those out pretty effectively. And someone, if they have a strong enough desire, you can you can find those things even at the ranch. But it becomes a it becomes a place. I where- haven't seen that stash. I, I need to find I need to find all the things. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we keep them hidden from you specifically. Jen. Um, yeah, we just don't want people to run to the lowest common denominator of of relationships and coping in their life. Mm-hmm. And- really hard. And there's consequences to bad decisions. I want to stop for a minute and I want to tell everybody why we're talking about this because I want to make sure everybody has context for what they're listening to. Here's the situation. I'm calling you, God is calling you to live interconnected lives. That's not easy. That is costly. And what I've seen in Tony and Brooke and their family and their ranch family is that they have to, right? If they're going to take a job there, they're committed to that, they get stuck there. But I've seen the benefit. I've watched people walk out totally different people. I've watched people go from being complete punks, and you've seen it over and over again, guys, to leaving like submissive and excellent at being a part of a family and and actually going into the world looking for the things that they had there that they might have pushed against. There's a verse called pushing against the goads, don't do it. And there's a sense of like, there's there's power and, and grace and goodness in the things that poke you, the things that cause you a little bit of eh, wince and that's hard. And y'all create that hard for people. And so what I want you to hear is that you may have to look for this hard. I'm, you know, we're talking about accountability. We're talking about living lives in submission to one another. You may have to choose to build a world like this. It may not be as easy if you went and worked out at the ranch, but but you can do this in your life. And and guys, y'all have lived for seasons off the ranch. Talk about, and even at, at times live in town because your kids are now attending some school. What does that look like for you in your everyday life? Like, what have you learned about living in the context of this village called Lost Valley that you feel convicted to bring into your life, no matter if you're at Lost Valley forever or not? You know, we we always say to the staff that whatever we are driving home, whatever we are trying to impart to them are things that we don't believe are truths about Lost Valley. We believe they are truths about being a disciple of Christ. and. Even this idea, you know, I my heart beats for hospitality. I mean, that's where I do feel like my gifts and talents play out the very best. I think that even with the heart of hospitality, even that, just that alone, that principle, that of course, that's why we are, that's why Lost Valley exists, is for hospitality. 
Um, it's a hospitality business and an industry. However, in my own life, because we also, you know, live a good chunk of time now in town in Colorado Springs, it is interesting how isolated and how, you know, there's, I, I keep telling the staff, I'm like, man, y'all, it, it, it feels like every man for himself out there. Oh. It just feels like every man, every woman mm. for themselves. And to come into a, an environment like Lost Valley, um, where mm. we truly are co- consecrated to one another, to God ultimately, but also mm. to a whole culture and a, and a way of living that it's a lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, Tony and I walk out of here, you know, and the day that we will walk out of here will be the day that as a family, we say, what will we consecrate to now? And what will, what will hospitality look like? What will community look like? What do we value in relationships? Values are huge in that. Because if, if we know this is our value system within our relationships with each other and with other people outside of our home and friends and family, then, then we know what swords to fall on. We know what to pursue intentionally in those relationships. And um, it's just that Lost Valley because it's a business, because it's, there's a hierarchy, because there's order to it. It's, it's structured. Like Tony said, it's very structured. Those values are almost given to our staff, but it works. Like Mm. we see it work. We see it actually change lives. We see guests be dumbfounded and just without words to put to it, something that's happened to them and happened to their souls and happened. And even these are people who may not, like Tony said, they aren't coming from the same worldview. They're not coming from the same faith or the same traditions. And so, but yet the, the experience is common. The experience is across the board and we just get to see it at Lost Valley in a way that is so pure and so simple. And at times, so intense <laughs> and it, it intensifies it because it is so simple and pure. But I think when you hold to those things, when you hold to those values of relationships of saying, you know, like you do Jenny, of these are my people and I will fight to the end for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and whatever that means, whatever the cost, I think that the world sees it and is always attracted to it. Mm-hmm. Always. It's our, 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 one of our real quick, one of our theme verses of, of for the staff is they will know in John, mm. um, they will know you are my disciples by the way you mm. love one another. Yes. And so it's just, it's just the living in a way that demands an explanation. And the most, I think, transformative part of coming to Lost Valley is watching how the staff love each other well. It's something our guests can't ignore. It's, it's rare. It's very rare. Y'all, when the Aura Frame Box showed up on my porch, I legitimately squealed and I ripped it out of the box. I was with James and I was like, I've been waiting my whole life for this because they are so cool. They make these beautiful frames that are fast and easy to set up. And once you receive it, you can download their app and connect it to Wi-Fi. And you can even invite family members or friends to share photos to your frame. Aura keeps your photos secure and makes it really easy to control who has access to your frames. So there's no limit on how many people you can invite. This is the perfect Mother's Day present and it's guaranteed to make mom smile. What's been so fun about having an Aura frame is I keep it plugged in in my kitchen. And what's so fun about it is that you can just throw photos up from your iPhone. So like we had an Easter egg hunt recently, took some really cute photos 
of the boys with some family members. So I'm constantly updating and adding photos of friends and family, my sister and her new baby, like just people that we love to keep them on our hearts and on our minds throughout the day. And it's just fun to walk by it and see who is on the Aura Frame. So from now until Mother's Day, save on the perfect gift and get up to $40 off while supplies last by going to AuraFrames.com slash made for this. That's A-U-R-A frames.com slash made for this for up to $40 off. Terms and conditions apply. Tony, you talk about, we're sitting there at dinner and I'm telling you, I'm right working on this book. I'm so excited about it. And you're just, you got, you're leaning back. He's got a beard, y'all. He's got his glasses. He's looking down his nose. Usually a black cowboy hat on. Yep. Always Wranglers and boots. And he's leaning back, looking, looking down his nose at me. Wait, and I'm sorry. I have to set this up as your sister a little better because Jenny, in all of her passion and all of her excitement, you know, it becomes very dramatic. Like she is painting a picture. My arms are waving. Yes. A village life and it's beautiful and it's, yeah. (laughs) Oh, I was real excited. I thought Tony Uh was going to love it. I was just waiting for Tony to be like, yes, Jenny, that's brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, right. He's never. (laughs) Loves me. So I, yes, I am going at it. I'm like, and then da, 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 and it's so good. And, da, da, da. and he's like, yeah, okay. Well, village life is great unless you end up with a village of cannibals. That's what he said. That was his comeback to my wonderful book proposal. And I was already at neck deep in researching and writing. So Tony, I think I know, I've guessed I've known, but why don't you tell everybody where that comment came from? Well, yeah, I mean, we've heard that it takes a village and and as someone that actually believes deeply in community and doing life in community, the concept I actually agree with, like the, the overarching um, That's idea. That's good because the book is already in the world. <laughs> yeah, which is fantastic. That's it's why we're here. I love the book. I've underlined it a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> my biggest so fan, y'all. <laughs> I think that we need to always be very cognizant that the idea of a village, that what we're saying is actually that the values of that village are what drive the, the right. village, right? I mean, and so we can talk about community, we can talk about a village, and I think that the world in general, and this is a, this is a universal issue that is as old as, as humanity as soon as we started living together. I think it goes back to Old Testament law, like Leviticus. Why does Leviticus say all this crazy stuff? That And it's because the nation of Israel is supposed to be missional from day one, right? They were supposed to be different than the world around them. And that meant that they had a set of values that, that even though it looked weird to the outside world, it had a purpose to set them apart, right? You're my set apart people. So your village actually needs to be set on a set of shared principles. And for us at the ranch specifically, it's biblical. It's, it's these values are what drive this community so that we're, we're, acting in a way that we know the we know the expectations, we know the rules. And the reality of it is, is that in our shared communities, uh, our village, the world that we live in, that is not the case. We cannot assume that to be true. So we actually have to work incredibly hard. We're in it, even though we're not of it. And then the ranch comes around hospitality, right? So when you think of your life in the city and the more and more time y'all spend there because of your kids, what do you see as the thing for people to come around together that could cause a connection and a, and a shared mission? Well, so what happens is that when we, when we think about 
a village or we think about what ends up happening most of the time, it's tribalism more than anything else. It's it's what do we share? And I use this kind of a silly picture is that when you look at sports teams and the level of tribalism, even to the point of physical violence, you know, and if in Europe it's, you know, football hooligans, it's it's actual gangs built around a, a football club or a, you know, a soccer team. And why would they do, why would they have such animosity to another sports team? That sports team represents something about their community and the things that they rally around and the colors that they wear. So when we talk about these villages or these communities that we build these values around, what those communities actually build their premise, their justification for being there actually matters. All right. And so for us and Brooke and I, as our role at the ranch continues to evolve, you know, we're spending more time in town and, and reevaluating what our, you know, community looks like. And so using the, you know, the analogy of a village, we are living in a community, in a village, but we have to be selective, not in who we spend time with, but what investment looks like, who's doing this together. Not all of these relationships are created equal, and right. some of them are closer than others, and by and it's appropriate. And so just because you have superficial uh, likeness, superficial areas that, that have seem to have commonality, that doesn't mean that these are the relationships that are the most profound and built upon. So for us at the ranch, the way the litmus on community was based in Philippians 2 of viewing others as more important than yourself. That was the way in which we did hospitality is that we viewed others in a way that that elevated them over our own mm-hmm. kind of, um, temporal needs and not the reduction of the individual because God makes it really clear how important the individual is. But when we sacrifice our world around us to ourselves for our own comfort, our own idolatry, then our ability to engage with the world around us winsomely and effectively is heavily reduced. So we want to be engaging with the world around us effectively, and that is going to be sacrificial. And that's what hospitality looks like. But the communities that we shore up around us in order to be effective shouldn't isolate ourselves. Right. But should give us the ability to be healthy and to and to be encouraged, but also exhorted. Right. And on mission. So, Brooke, I'm, I want to bring in a different area of expertise because you're actually about to be certified as a Patterson planner. And what that means, if you don't know, basically it's changed me and Zach's life. It was better than counseling for us because it helped us build, It t- just like Tony's talking about, the values that we share um, and it puts them on paper and helps us build our lives around those values rather than just letting life take away. Because a lot of people listening right now, they're going, great, I don't work at Lost Valley I don't know how to build this into my life. I don't know how to make changes. And I'm sure you're going to get all kinds of people wanting to sign up with you to do this personal inventory and do this with their lives. But this is a this is a three-day commitment and a pretty expensive one. So for the people that can't afford that and do that themselves with you, what would you tell them about how to go about actually restructuring your life and, and taking the values that you have and putting them into action in their lives? First and foremost, that keyword values you have to know what your values are. You have to figure out, you know, there's, there's exercises you can do. There's things that let's say um, you think about the different areas of your life and you um, it feels chaotic and it feels 
like you're getting pulled in multiple directions, maybe even in friendship, right? There's different circles of friends that like Tony's saying has different metrics as far as how close you are to them and how much investment you make. And, but if, if you uh, face, just like we've, just like we um, have ordered quite a bit here because we're a business at Lost Valley. But what, what I've learned from that is there's actually a lot of that order you can apply to your own life and how you live your life strategically, how you walk out, even in the idea of faith, walking out in faith, that there's, there's strategy. There's it's, we're proactive in it We're we are, um, we're actually the main part of our story. I mean, it's, you know, we're the lead character. And so there's a way to, um, you know, formulate some ideas in order, even in your value system that in your personal life. And what I would suggest is with each, you know, I always say which with each hat you're wearing, for me, it's wife, mother, daughter, sister, leader, friend. I mean, those are all multiple, those are different areas of my life that I'm moving out in each day and having mm-hmm. to make decisions, having to really and, and truly impact another usually all of those hats impact another person's life. So the way that other people experience me. I always say the way that they live on the other side of me, the way that plays out is directly related to, am I living by the values in which I know that are important to me and important Mm. to my faith and what I, what I, who I say I am. Yeah. So there's, you know, just thinking of like, let's just say those, those different hats you're wearing, let's just say you take one and you might write down grammar lesson here. You could write down every verb, adjective, and noun that's involved in that area of your life and start seeing common threads, start seeing where that word seems really important as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, when I think of homeschooling, well, homeschooling, an important word might be impact and impacting my children's lives and, and how do I want to impact them and how do I want to move forward in that? And so I, I don't know if that makes sense and if that brings clarity, but it's hard to dilute. The life, the actual life plan into. I know it's it's three days long. I mean, tell everybody what it is. It's three days long. Tell tell them what the process. Tom Patterson created a formula, so it's very formulaic, and you for three or two and a half days, really, you do the work, and for about two and a half days, you are reflecting, you are processing, and then you are projecting, and you are taking these areas of your life, as in even the examples I gave earlier. You're taking every area of your life and you're really plugging them into this process of evaluating what is wrong, what is right, what is confusing, what needs to change. And in the end, in a very, you know, you can't, it's hard to even describe and put words to, but it's miraculous. Yeah. It happened to me. And Tom Patterson was actually an inventor and he was very entrepreneurial and he just thought to himself, um, because he was super creative. He thought, why wouldn't these formulas that he was using for inventions and for business and for strategy, you know, real heavy strategy and strat-op, why wouldn't that work in someone's personal life and their calling? Mm. And so in the end, what you're getting, you know, I have a whole vision statement for my own personal life now so that when I move, even when we move from Lost Valley, I know that there are certain components that will remain the same even wow. when I leave Lost Valley. And I, I, the reason I want to go here with you is because I think everybody needs to know 
people are not just winning in life. They're not just out there like, oh, this is easy for me. And they're just naturally- your pants. Yeah. Yeah. And they're naturally like, oh, they naturally have great relationships and they naturally are prioritizing the right things as parents. The people that are intentional, that are willing the chaos into organization or, or structure, to will it into structure, those are the people that are experiencing the fullest life. And that's why it was so life-changing for me is is I don't think I realized I had that much dominion and authority and volition from God over these parts of my life. And so I felt kind of helpless and stuck and I didn't know how to make changes and and what that did. And I know not everybody can do it. You can do it though in a small way at your house. I mean, Dream Guide's kind of like that. You could go download that on my website. There's ways to do it in a simpler way, but to make that huge investment, which we've made in our lives um, once and again, it's when you go, you'll see it's expensive. But it, it, to be able to do that with Brooke was, or actually, I did it with Pete. But y'all were right there beside us because we we actually came out and met you. Y'all had done it before us, and you knew we would need to go out afterwards and just sit and like stare into space because it was so much talking. <laughs> but Jenny, but, to your point, I mean, just those three steps I mentioned of reflection, yep. process, and projection, and what that means is really past, present, future. Yep. Um, and it all, you know, it's not living in the past, but it's considering the past. Mm. What, what has worked in relationships? What yeah. has not worked for you in relationships? What has worked in your marriage? What does not work in your marriage? And, and, you know, Jenny and I, you and I have, how many hard conversations have you and I had where now that we're mature adults, you know, it looked differently when we were 18, 17, sure. 16, but now that we're mature adults, I mean, it's so easy for you and I to sit down and be like, Ooh, that, that didn't feel great. And so moving forward, let's do this. We are the feistiest family, y'all. If you came over, I mean, we are so for each other. We would do any, anything for each other. And, and so that's super safe place to be, but we're feisty too. We're not boring. We're not boring. Tony, what do you think? We're not boring. No, I could use more boredom when I'm with you guys. <laughs> There's lots of excitement, which doesn't make me rest very well. Zach and I spend a lot of time engaging with the uh, excitement that you sisters all create for us. Uh, I know. There's not much. Aren't you glad you got us? Aren't you? Aren't you yeah. the lucky one? Yeah. You all so, got us. So super lucky. <laughs> you are blessed. <laughs> yeah, Lord smiling down on me all the time. All the time. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love y'all so much. I know this is it's just a different way to view life and y'all live it day in and day out. It's possible to have this guys. That I think that my biggest takeaway from the ranch is the power of people in submission coming together to build an experience for people and I think that's what we're called to do as Christians, right? We're called to come together to build an experience of Christ together. And gosh, I want us to be better at that in the world. And y'all do it. Y'all are a model for me of how to do it. I'm so grateful for both of you. And I love you so, so much. We love you too, Jenny. We love you too, Jenny. Hey, wasn't it fun to have Brick and Tony on the podcast today? If you've been around for very long, you've probably heard Jenny talk about Lost Valley Ranch. Lost Valley Ranch is one of the leading all-inclusive resorts in Colorado. So you get these beautiful cabin suites that are decked out in the traditional Western and designer furnishings with 
extra comforts thrown in, but they're secluded and they're nestled in these beautiful pines overlooking the ranch. They have big front porches, and so you get all the fun of Western adventure while staying comfortably in your cabin. It is just a special, meaningful place to take your family, to go on your own, or even a couple's getaway. You can learn more about Lost Valley Ranch at lostvalleyranch.com, and I'll make sure to link that in the show notes. And if you want more information and want to contact Brooke for life planning, I'll make sure to put all of that info in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Made for This podcast. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.